Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? Now dig this, Matt. Y'all know I love stationery. Y'all know I love to take notes. I love to write. I love to write on paper. I love to write notebooks. Matt, what'd you get me for Christmas this year? I got you notebooks and pens and organizers. Correct. I love it. Uh, and I find that it genuinely helps me remember things better as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a like a text file or whatever. Actually writing something down physically helps me a lot. It helps me organize my thoughts. It helps me get my work done. And ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple Pencil with it, I have been doing that on there, and that's great. The only problem I've had with it, it doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which I, is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called NanoDots. With those NanoDots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook, here's the way for it to really feel natural. And Chris, I know you love that. You you have an iPad, you got a paper-like and I'm sure it's, it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have yes. specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use. And paper, like, feels good on the iPad. Uh, they also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with, but getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it, <laughs> that gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have, is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen if you put a paper-like on there. And these foils are developed exclusively for paper-like products. It also always comes in a set of two, so you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better, this is how you do it. So, to pick up your paper-like, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, click Buy Paper-like, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their Digital Pro Planner Bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com Ajax to get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to War Rocket Ajax. This is the internet's most explosive comic book and pop culture podcast. We are your hosts. My name is Chris Sims. With me, as always, is Matt Wilson. Matt, how are you? Chris, I'm okay. How are you? I'm doing all right. 
uh, it's it's snowy here again. Well, you can feel Christmassy then. I do. I do feel very Christmassy. I actually um, I started my Christmas shopping today, which is is very exciting for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always fun. I uh, got my wife uh, a little present. Uh, maybe got something for uh, Matt Wilson as well. Me? Yeah. I say maybe because I am not sure if I'm going to keep it for myself. <laughs> that is always the uh, the eternal question for gifts we get each other, right? Just if I'm going to be fully honest with you, that's where I'm at, Matt. Yeah. This this might be for you. This might be for me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know how it goes. You know yeah. how it goes. We have a great episode for everybody. It's a gift for all of you listening and for ourselves because we get to talk to one of our favorite people, Ryan North, on the episode uh, this week. And we're going to talk to Ryan about Fantastic Four because he's writing that book. We're going to talk about Star Trek Lower Decks because he's writing a comic about that. And he's going to yell at me about what I said was my favorite bad episode of Star Trek. Not since the Darkhawk incident has there been so much tension on an episode of this show. <laughs> well, I was just trying to like back off and figure out a way to get out of this situation after I expressed my opinion. And uh, you're going to hear it when we get there. It's, it's a good time. Uh, like like Matt said, it's one of our favorite people, one of my one of my favorite writers, one of our favorite writers, talking about some of our favorite stuff. An absolute joy. You're going to enjoy the interview. It's going to be a good time. It sure is. But before we get to that, Chris, we have uh, some business to take care of. And our first bit of business, as always, is thanking our newest supporters over on Patreon. That's right, Matt. These are the people who get on to 615 Gimmick Street. Uh, each and every week. Well, they probably don't go every week. They could go monthly. You well, know what? It, it, they go to 615 Gimmick Street this week. They go to 615 Gimmick Street this week. And while they are there, you know what's there. I mean, yeah, but tell everybody. You know what's there. Well, it's 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 the, the hedge maze that's next to the creepy castle at 613 Gimmick Street. <laughs> so you could go get lost in the hedge maze and have a great time. Exactly. Exactly. It's it's no it's no longer seasonally appropriate, but it is well, The Shining, that's a win, that's a Christmas movie, right? There's a hedge maze. It's a winter movie. Yeah, winter, Christmas, same thing. Here's the thing you can do though while you're stuck in that hedge maze, you can uh get out a mobile device, any internet connected device. You can probably honestly, you can probably get Wi-Fi anywhere on Gimmick Street, even in the middle of that hedge maze. And when you have it, you can direct your web browser to patreon.com slash Ajax, where you can kick in as little as a dollar a month to help this show keep going. And uh, help me and Matt pay those gimmicks they keep sending in the mail called Bills. That's right, Chris. And these are our newest supporters over on Patreon. Matthew Jerns. Ah, Matt Jerns. Uh, we know that guy. Uh, thanks, Matt. That's your yeah. name. That is my full name. And Nicholas R. Vetter. Ah, thank you, Nicholas. If you would like to be like Matthew and Nicholas and help us out and help support the show, you can do what Chris said and go to patreon.com slash Ajax to kick in as little as $1 per month to make sure that we keep doing this show every single week, that we do 
comics catch up, which we did not do in November because I went on vacation, but we do it most months. Uh, that we do movie fighters and snack situation. We have snack situation coming up real soon. You're going to probably get that the week of Thanksgiving, I think. And uh, also a two hour every story ever special every month. Currently on Patreon, we are at 415 patrons. So you can be one of the five to get us to that funny number. Once again, the number we've been hovering around for a long time now. You can keep us at that funny weed number. It's such a funny number, and we would so love to be there. Yeah, so you can go do that. As a patron, you get ad-free episodes of every single show that we do. Like I mentioned, you get bonus content. That includes bonus audio, including the bonus audio that went up uh, last week, in which Marlene and I detailed our trip to an Italian McDonald's, as well as many other things about our trip to Italy, including Marlene's huge fight with four Germans on an Italian train. That is something that is exclusive to Patreon supporters. In addition to bonus audio, which include outtakes from this show and stuff Chris and I record, there's also bonus writing over there. Chris has been doing video game reviews on the Patreon for quite some time now. And uh, I've written a couple things over there, too. So if you would like to read some of our writing, you have to go get on Patreon to be able to read those things and see those things. You can also get line-stepping privileges for our segments like Every Story Ever and Battle of the Decades. You can get physical rewards and much, much more over there on Patreon. So if any of that sounds of interest to you and you have the funds to help us out, uh, please do. Please go to patreon.com slash warrocketajax and kick in a little bit if you are unable to help us monetarily, which, you know, it happens. We can't always do that. You can help us out in other ways. You can leave us a five-star review on the podcasting app that you use. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is that you listen to podcasts, leave us five stars. Or just spread the word about the show. Tell your friends. Get on social media and say, there's a podcast you should listen to. Make it your last tweet. <laughs> With that, Chris, it's time for Checks and Rex. What do you say? Let's do it. Chris, what are you checking in with this week? Matt, you are a man of journalism. Yes, I went to a journalism school. You did. You have, you have a degree in journalism. I certainly do. So you will understand my fury when my wife sent me uh, a, a link to the Star Tribune, the, the newspaper that we have here in the Twin Cities. The, that has, uh, become the paper of record in Minneapolis. Paper of record, yes. Yeah. It has become increasingly reactionary over the past few years mm. and has made some truly wild endorsements in local politics. Uh, talk to anyone in Minneapolis about that. They love it. She sent me a restaurant review, negative restaurant review, uh, of a, uh, a a local restaurant in Wyzetta. And I would like to read you the first paragraph of this restaurant review. This Please by, do. Please do. This is by John Chang. Uh, it's a review of Makanda in Wyzetta. In the X-Men comics, the character Mystique is both wily and resourceful. 
She can clone into any mutant she touches, but will operate with greatly reduced powers. That doesn't seem to stop her from terrorizing others. The article goes on from there, basically, uh, but the restaurant is duplicating other restaurants at a reduced capacity and, and terrorizing diners, I guess. Uh, Matt, I, could, I couldn't let this stand. It, it's it, grossly inaccurate. It is, it is wildly inaccurate. It's wrong. And I have the expertise, I have the authority, and I have the responsibility to take a stand when I see a, a journalistic fuck-up <laughs> of this level. So I It's a dereliction of duty is what it is. It's a dereliction of duty. It's it's upsetting to me. So I wrote a letter. Should I read should I just read the letter I wrote on the show? I sent this at 9:23 a.m. this morning. Follow your heart, Chris. If you would like to read the letter in full, I would love to hear it. This is what I sent in. Mr. Chang When the Star Tribune published reactionary propaganda and endorsed unqualified candidates, I remained silent choosing to simply get my news elsewhere. Today, however, I have seen an affront to journalistic integrity so extreme that I cannot simply stand by. In your review of Makanda, you wrote that the Marvel Comics character Mystique, quote, can clone into any mutant she touches, but will operate with greatly reduced powers. Side note, clone into? What? Anyway, side note over. This is the sort of patently false misinformation that even J. Jonah Jameson would balk at publishing. Mystique, alias Raven Darkholm, is a shapeshifter who can assume the forms of other people. Touching them is not necessary, and she explicitly cannot duplicate their powers, even to a, quote, reduced, unquote, extent. You may be conflating Mystique with Rogue, who can duplicate the powers, mutant and otherwise, of those she touches, along with absorbing their memories. It is both forgivable and understandable that you could make this mistake about Rogue and Mystique, or Mistake, M-Y-S-T-A-Q-U-E. Got him as the two characters are associated with each other. After Rogue's mutant powers manifested themselves in Caldecott County, Mississippi, when she kissed her boyfriend Cody and accidentally put him in a coma, Rogue was adopted by Mystique, who raised her with her partner Destiny, who can see the future. Rogue still refers to Mystique as Mama to this day, which can also be confusing, as Mystique is also the biological mother of another X-Man, Nightcrawler, whose father is a demon named Azazel. As the writer of over 14 and a half issues of X-Men comics, whose sales figures are irrelevant, this is information that I have the training and expertise to know off the top of my head, but I do not expect others to share that, unless they too have written slightly more than a dozen comic books with Wolverine in them. Publishing this misleading falsehood, however, in the paper record for the Greater Twin Cities area, is not something so easily forgiven. The people of Minneapolis and St. Paul deserve a retraction and demand an apology. The restaurant does sound pretty bad, though. Yours in solidarity with the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, Christopher Sims, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, that is a letter that I sent. Now, you told them that that was okay to publish, right? I did not mark it okay to print. I, I guess I should have. I, well, I think if you send it to the letters to the editor email address, it could get published in the newspaper anyway. And I could tell you, having worked at a newspaper myself, much worse, much worse letters get published in the letters to the editor i i think that might get in the paper i mean the letter to the editor section of the strip is uh a fucking madhouse 
Oh yeah. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. That there was the one I, I believe I told you about a uh, that said a guy uh, a guy wrote in to say that he was watching at home the new movie The Batman, uh-huh. which is not a way humans describe that action. But and that after police lieutenant Gordon used a spotlight to contact Batman, that's not what it's called. No. Um, but okay, sure, I guess technically accurate. And after uh, some children were driving around on the 4th of July, like throwing firecrackers out of a car, uh, that it seems like the Twin Cities could use a Batman of our own. Oh, I do remember this. I remember this letter to the editor, yes. I have said the phrase, seems like the Twin Cities could use a blank of our own, at least five times a week since I read that letter this summer. (laughs) Uh, The funniest one was, was when... Uh, AC said we were watching what we do in the shadows, and AC said, "You know, it seems like the Twin Cities could use a vampire nightclub of our own." Uh, I agree. I think the Twin Cities should absolutely have a vampire nightclub. I don't care if they print the letter. You know, I'm not. I'm not in this for the glory, but I do want them. I do want to see the phrase. An earlier version of this article did mistakenly identify the mutant mystique as having the ability to duplicate superpowers. This is not true. <laughs> I want a retraction. I suspect it will get published in the paper or the letter. I do not suspect you will get a retraction, but unbelievable. Maybe a clarification. They they might label it a clarification. Matt, what have you been up to this week? While well, I've been fighting for truth. Yes, you you've really been out there in the in the truth. What I've been doing is watching the demise of Twitter. Uh it has been quite a show. I don't know if Twitter will still exist by the time this episode goes up. Uh you can really hear me struggle later in the episode when I t- discuss Twitter questions <laughs> uh because I don't know if we're ever going to do them again after this episode. It's going to be a real uh, turning of the page. But I've tweeted a handful of Twitter goodbyes. And one thing that I decided to do was tweet something, probably the most information I've tweeted about this project that I've been working on for literally 20 years in a long time. And what the hell, let's talk about it on the show. I actually talked about it in one of our uh, Heroes Con episodes years ago, or it was a convention episode where we were in that hotel room and we were just like at a low point and we had to do an episode that was like a pep talk to each other. Do you remember this, Chris? That wasn't a Heroes Con. That was a, uh, that, cause that was in Raleigh. Oh, I it think. was, yes. Yes. It and was we were, it like, was I remember the- driving in the car and, and I don't know what had happened. I don't remember what it was, but you and me were like, not good. Was it in Raleigh? Because we were in a hotel room and we recorded it. I remember that. Maybe the it could have been in Raleigh because we would have just been at my house. Yeah, maybe it was Greenville or something. Yeah, maybe. Whatever the case. We had to like give each other a pep talk in this hotel room. And I remember saying that like there's this project I've been working on for a long time and I'm going to make it happen and I'm going to do it. And it still has not happened uh, these many years later. I've gotten a little further along with it, but I cannot get anybody to like bite on making it a comic. So I tweeted about it, and I'm just going to mention it here. It is a comic about supervillains, 
or well, actors who get hired to replace supervillains when they retire or die. Because the turnover rate with supervillains is really high. And there's a group of powerful people that want superheroes and supervillains to keep fighting. So they hire supervillains or they hire actors to be replacement supervillains. That is the concept of this comic. I, it's an idea I've had literally since epic comics pitches. Like what Downset Fight started out as, Chris. Mm-hmm. And I'm just saying, I think this is a good idea for a comic. Rodrigo Vargas, the artist I've worked on with a bunch of other stuff with, has drawn sample pages. Anybody listening to this who would listen to my pitch or could tell me how to pitch this to somebody, please get in touch. <laughs> get on our Discord, email me, warrocketpodcast at gmail.com. I would like to make this comic happen. I don't care how long it is. It could be an OGN. It could be a five-issue miniseries. I don't care. I just want to make this comic. And while we're putting out stuff in the last days of Twitter of like, let's put what we want into the universe, I'm putting what I want into the universe. I want Imposter Syndicate, the comic that I've been trying to make happen for God knows how long, into a thing that really exists. Chris, let's make some recommendations. What do you have to recommend? Uh, Matt, I would like to recommend uh, a TV show that I'm actually a little surprised we haven't talked about before, because I think we're both watching it. Mm. Uh, And that is a a show that you can watch on the streaming service Walt... (laughs) Walt... (laughs) (laughs) I can't. Disney Plus, I can't, I can't, I can't do the unabreaved version. I'm so, I don't know why. Dis- Walt Disney Company Additional. Walt Disney Company Edition, yes. Uh, Buena Vista Media, Walt Disney <laughs> Edition. Uh, it is a it is a Star Wars themed television show, uh, and it is called Andor. Uh, and you're watching this, right? I've seen. The first couple of episodes, I got way off track because of my trip, and I haven't caught up. But I, it is a show I'm aiming to watch at some point, yeah. It definitely is right up our collective alley, I think. Yeah. Like, it is, yeah, yeah. A, it is a show that has a heist and a jailbreak. And I love – like, those are two formulae that I always love. I love a good jailbreak story. And, so that's what uh, it takes to sell you on a Star War. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it, it is uh, bringing back the character Cassian Andor, uh, played by Diego Luna, who you might remember from uh, Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Uh, and it is, it's uh, the origin story of how he gets involved in uh, the Rebellion. Um, and it... I feel like it, it is a cliche at this point to say like, you know, yeah, it's star Wars, but it doesn't feel like star Wars, you know? And that's not quite accurate. Cause it feels very much like star Wars. Like all of the technology looks like it's from the seventies, which is great. Like it, it looks like star Wars. It has the authentic star Warsness That's like in the, uh, uh, the Patrick Gill, uh, polygon video about star Wars video games and how, what they need to do to feel like Star Wars. It follows that formula, but it's also very, uh, very much. It's, it's kind of like smartly, uh, 
political. Like if you, for those of you who missed the, the subtlety of, of the empire's uh, stormtroopers and how they're space fascists, um, this one really a nail on the head will help you out with getting the subtle nuances of the star Wars universe. But also it's very smartly written. I find Diego Luna to be uh, an incredibly compelling actor to watch. And also like probably one of the best looking people on the planet. Really? That dude is stupidly good looking. (laughs) So very compelling. There's a, there's a droid that's basically like a little dog. That's really good. So uh, definitely check out Andor if you haven't, but yeah, all the intrigue, all the, the action, all the, the tension, uh, shout out to Andy circus who is entering this new phase of his career where he's just like not having to be a gorilla or a golem anymore. I think that started with him being Ulysses claw. Yeah. And then he was Alfred and now he's a star war. Yeah. That's a trifecta, Matt. You know what? Now he does deserve for somebody to be like Andy Circus and then get rushed at the front of a hotel. I think As, maybe he always deserved that. That's true. I I just didn't like it cuz we were trying to get to dinner. That's and true. And they blocked the sidewalk. Yeah. But you know what? Shout out to Andy Circus. Shout out to to my man Andy Circus. Although I do think I I think it's very funny to imagine like Doug Jones like walking like like walking past Andy Serkis at a con and like shoulder checking him. <laughs> he's like, yeah, mocap brotherhood. Uh you betrayed you betrayed us. You, bet- you you betrayed the gang. But I also think it's funny to imagine Doug Jones like shoulder checking anyone and or on uh Walt Disney Entertainment edition. Matt uh, what do you have to recommend to the people this week? Well, I have a movie to recommend that you have to go to a movie theater to watch. But it's it's good. It's uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. A movie that had a lot that it had to do. Yeah. I can't imagine approaching a project with that much weighing down on it. And coming out with a movie that was as good as that movie was. It was it was honestly a revelatory achievement. Like, it's not as good as the first Black Panther. But it's still a pretty fucking good movie. In spite of all the pressures coming down on it. And like, you know, having to make a sequel after your lead actor dies in real life, you know? Uh, I think the movie handles that stuff really, really well. It's a great tribute to Chadwick Boseman. Uh, Like, there are tributes to him throughout the movie, and I think they're all really, like, tastefully done and well done. The worst thing about the movie, as is often the case with... MCU movies is the sort of like pushing the MCU forward stuff. Like there's a lot of build up to the Thunderbolts movie in this. And those are the weakest parts of the movie by far. Also, uh, Riri Williams, Ironheart, 
it feels like she probably had a bigger role in the original script. And then a lot of it probably got cut back in editing. So in some ways she feels a little bit like an afterthought or, or not as important as important of a character as maybe she should be, but all of the Wakanda characters, I think get served pretty well. Also, Namor fucking rules. Like the recontextualizing of Namor, making him to into a Mesoamerican mythological figure. Great. This this version of Namor, I can't wait to see more of him. Because they made Namor a character in comics that I've never been like the biggest fan of into a character that absolutely fucking rules. He's fantastic. And Tenoch Huerta, who plays Namor in this, does such an amazing job. Perfect movie? No. But like, almost as good as the original Black Panther, which is a tough thing to achieve. Black, the original Black Panther, one of the probably five best MCU movies. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. I haven't seen it yet. We're planning on going this weekend, so hopefully by the time uh, people hear this. But we were planning on seeing it on uh, last Friday, uh, or the Friday before uh, last Friday, for people who are listening to this when it comes out, uh, which was the day that uh, Kevin Conroy died. Yeah. Uh, which... Maybe unsurprisingly for all of you, but a little surprisingly for me, hit me really hard. And I was, I, I, I told AC, I was like, can we just, can we skip the movie this weekend? Cause I know all I'm going to be thinking about is Kevin Conroy and Chadwick Boseman. And I can't do both of those right now. But I have heard, like, the, the one thing that I have heard from multiple people about this movie is that it is like, impressive that it is as good as it is with the with Chadwick Boseman uh dying. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're going to think about Chadwick Boseman while you watch it. I yeah. mean, it's it does not shy away from it. The the movie doesn't. But I think the way it goes about doing that is like really thoughtful and really good. It's not pandering it's not schmaltzy it's not it doesn't take advantage of it it just honors him you know all right well with that chris those are our checks and wrecks which means it's time to talk about some comics let's do it the texter's choice for this week is star girl the lost children number one surprisingly enough the the Texture's Choice Award is weird because most of the time it's like a really good thing. <laughs> yeah. And then sometimes it's like, got a lot to say about this one. <laughs> yeah. And this is actually like a little bit of, of both. At the end of Flashpoint Beyond, I think, I, I don't remember if you went as hard as I did, but I was definitely like, when we got that page of like, here's all this Golden Age nonsense, I was like, this shit's never getting over. Uh, and I feel like that was the product of having just read a very bad comic book, a a and I might have judged it a little too harshly. 
because uh, the fact of the matter is, and I have said this many times, and I said this like when the the TV show came out. Uh, I've said it for literal decades now. Stars and Stripe is the best thing Jeff Johns has ever done. Like on on the whole, he has done nothing as good as that fourteen issue series from late nineties DC Comics. Courtney Whitmore, a great character uh, that that he co-created with Lee Motor, based on his own uh, sister. A, a character that I have always liked, a book that I've always liked, a book that I think holds up really well, uh, and that Johns himself has done 99% of what he has done involving Courtney Whitmore has been good. Uh, there is a very glaring 1%, but that's more about Billy Batson. Uh, and not what I want to talk about. So, even though I think... This show has not been kind <laughs> to Jeff John's recent work, justifiably, I think. Uh, I was really excited to sit down and read this. And I think this first issue, at least, really plays to John's strength as a writer. Uh, it plays to Courtney's strength as a character. It it does a lot of stuff that I'm like, oh, okay, well, yeah, let's go ahead and get some some of these weird new Golden Age children. I am excited to see where this goes, and I'm excited to see what happens in it. I do feel like someone should take away the plot device of things being written on a chalkboard or on post-it notes stuck on a wall from Jeff Johns. Like, he should maybe be fined every time he does that. Yeah. It is it is becoming one of his favorite things to put yeah. in comics. And it's bad because it's not visually interesting for someone to be writing on a chalkboard in a comic book. Yeah, I feel like we, we all got like was it fifty two where that started? Maybe. Maybe. Like Fifteen years ago? Like it's just not it's not good. Well, talking about some number of years ago in comics, not only is this Jeff Johns, it's Todd Nock doing uh, art. Who I, I love and worked with on uh, Sleepwalker, who was absolutely fantastic to work with. Yeah. In many ways, this feels like a DC comic from 1999. Yes. And I mean that in the best possible way. Yeah. And you're not wrong. I mean, one of the things we said to each other over text is this is the comic that Jeff John should be doing because you want to do a bunch of JSA bullshit. You want to do a bunch of golden age bullshit, put it in this stars and stripe comic, baby, put it in the star girl comic where it fits. Yeah. It makes sense for star girl to be tracking down golden age sidekicks who disappeared, which is what this book is about. It's good. Yeah. It's it, like I said, I think it really plays to the strength of everyone involved. Um I I do I, I will say and I say this as uh I have always really liked Todd Knox art and again, uh absolute pleasure to work with. Uh, I was lucky enough to do that. But I'm a little surprised that like Lee Motor didn't come back to do this one. Who has a style that is very reminiscent of Todd Knox? It's 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 just like 
it, it is, I think, and I'm sure that there are not a lot of people having this thought because even with uh, the success that that Johns has had, and and I think probably even with the fact that there was a a TV show, uh, like I don't feel like a lot of people went back and read Stars and Stripes, unfortunately. But it does make it, I feel like it's a little bit of a disservice because it makes Todd Knox seem like he is he's filling in for somebody, and that's not fair. And that might just be the way I think about it. But I I, I worry that that's the perception. He does a bang up job on this book. Yeah, uh, it's. I think the art in here is really good, and I really like the sort of distinct nature of the. 2022 parts and the 1942 parts. Mm-hmm. Some of it is like, you know, coloring and, and page treatment and all that kind of stuff. But knock also has like a distinct style between those two parts. And again, I feel like if this was happening in a different book, we'd be like, who in the world gives a fuck about TNT and dynamite, right? But that's they fit in this comic. Yeah, this where Jeff Jones should be doing that. Yeah, so one hundred percent agreed. A very enjoyable book, and and one that I'm genuinely excited about and interested in in reading as it goes forward, for sure. Uh, next up is Murder World Avengers number one, which is by Jim Zub and Ray Fox uh, writing, with art by Jethro Morales. And let me be very clear from the start this is absolutely 100% arcade doing a Squid Game. Yeah, I have not watched Squid Game. And I feel like I got that. <laughs> it, it is. Like, I was like, oh, okay. It is Squid Game. 1000%. It is Squid Game. Here is my question. Do you think that's the, like, that's the bit? Like, that's the joke? Because Arcade did a Battle Royale. Yeah. I think that's the joke. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's like half, or, well, it's like, 80% Squid Game. And it's like uh, 20%, oh, that movie where the streamer goes to the haunted house. Deadstream? Deadstream, yeah. It's like 20% Deadstream. Because <laughs> the premise of this issue is that a streamer accidentally stumbles upon Murder World and makes a YouTube video about it. And so Arcade invites him to uh his his new murder world which is a squid game yeah uh and there's 200 people and whoever survives gets 100 million dollars right which is what squid game is you, <laughs> whoever yeah. survives gets a bunch of money but the the wrinkle is and why this is called murder world avengers is that arcade has like c- cyborg or robot avengers that he uses to murder people yeah in the murder world yeah and this is going to be a like as it continues it's going to be it's a mini series but it's done as a series of of one shots and so the next one is uh, murder world spider-man 
Uh, And I'm curious to know, like, this was tangential to the Avengers, is a charitable way of putting it. That's not a complaint. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So I'm curious to see, like, how Jim and uh, Ray Fox approach the, uh, like, kind of working in the other Marvel characters as the the Murder World stuff goes on. Because, buddy, you know I love Arcade. I know you love Arcade. I know One of my all-time faves. Yeah. It's a fun premise. It's weird to me that at no point does anybody mention Squid Game. (laughs) But anybody reading this, I think, is going to get it. Uh, Like you said, you haven't even seen it, and you got it. So Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Finally, I want to talk real quick about uh, She-Hulk number eight. We have wrapped up, more or less, the Jack of Hearts story that kicked off this series. Uh, This is still being written by Rainbow Rowell, even though uh, the art, in this issue at least, is by uh, Takeshi Miyazawa, who was not the regular artist on the previous issue. But the concept of this issue, Chris, is super interesting. And it kind of reminds me of some of the thematic stuff from the She-Hulk Disney Plus show. Because what is happening here is that there are these two scientists. It's all about this couple of scientists. They're named April and Mark, who have always thought that people who don't deserve powers keep getting superpowers. Uh, Clearly the case in the Marvel universe. Like they, they think it's like, you know, it's always just accidental or whatever. And they don't think that's fair. And so they're going to try their best to get superpowers uh, through working to get them. And they've decided that the best way to try to get that, the best way to try to do that is to acquire some of She-Hulk's blood and transfuse it into themselves. And so they do that. And then it goes horribly wrong. And, like, they're not good people. (laughs) And so this is kind of their, like, supervillain origin story where they try to become superheroes through... By saying they're like you know better than everybody and they can do this themselves, and it goes poorly. Oh, buddy, th- th- you don't want to be you don't want to be doing that. You- you're gonna get, go through the green door. <laughs> yeah, man. I don't think they know about the green door. Yeah, I don't think they do. <laughs> that's, uh, that's the thing. Very small number of people in the Marvel universe know about the green door. Yeah. Very small number of people know about the fucked up Rick Jones. Uh, but by the end of this story, obviously, their goal changes from they want to be Hulks to they want to get revenge on She-Hulk, who had nothing to do with any of this. Like, like Jennifer Walters only appears kind of like – she's only kind of talked about in this issue, or she appears on TV at points. And this is really mostly about Mark and April. and. Uh, their quest that goes awry. And I just think it's really clever. Like, this is a story, this is one of those stories that when you read it, you're like, I can't believe nobody's done this story before. (laughs) You know? Mm -hmm. Like, people in the Marvel Universe who are like, well, why can't we get powers? Let's come up with a plan. Uh, So, I thought it was 
really good. I've actually been enjoying the She-Hulk series throughout uh, as it's been going on. Speaking of Marvel series that we've been enjoying, we really like that one issue of Fantastic Four. We sure did, Matt. And it was written by our guest on the show this week, Ryan North. Let's talk to him. Let's do it. for the program this week we are very excited to welcome one of one of the greats i would say i I, i'm throwing this out there one of the (laughs) all-timers one of the best to ever do it you will know his work from plenty of places including a lengthy and impressive run on uh the unbeatable squirrel girl uh, an even more lengthy and impressive run on dinosaur comics more recently the star trek lower decks comic and Marvel Comics is Fantastic Four, the world's greatest comics magazine. Ryan North, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm good, especially after that glowing introduction and recommendation. Happy to be here. Talk me up anytime you want, even when I'm not around. You should should go into the old War Rocket Ajax archives and listen to us ranking your Darkhold Iron Man story. Against we- what? Uh, against all, all other comics. Yes, all other <laughs> comics. It it really? did very well. Oh, yes. thank you. Yeah, we have a we have an ongoing list uh, called Every Story Ever, uh, where we have ranked uh, about fourteen hundred comics so far. We're going to get to all of them Holy eventually. Smokes. That is our curse. And yeah, like uh, I, I think I said that that uh, Darkhold Iron Man was like my favorite horror comic ever. Damn! Thank you. I wrote it myself. <laughs> yes, you did. A thing that we talked about at the time. God, I thought I was just going to jump right into talking about Star Trek, and now I want to talk about this Iron Man, this Darkhold book. A thing that we talked about when we read it and then when we uh, ranked it on the show was that it's still surprising to me when someone that I know primarily as being funny, you know, mm-hmm. from comedy, does a really great horror thing, even though that has happened hundreds of times in my media consuming life alone yeah i was thinking about that in the car actually today when i was driving home and i was thinking you know i've heard that you know it's easier for a comedy writer to move into drama than it is for a drama writer to move into comedy i was trying to figure out is that true or is that just a self-serving thing because i mostly write comedy and i'm like yeah you know to write comedy you have to understand the human condition and so part of that is horror and so that's why i can do horror and it's i'm not sure what the answer is but i feel like structurally comedy and horror have the same thing in which you have a premise you establish you build up to something and then there is a twist and a release and in comedy it's the punchline and in horror it's the things getting indescribably worse so they share that that structure at least that maybe made it easier for me to to move into that genre pretty unexpectedly it was that was uh, i did that right after squirrel girl <laughs> i pitched it during squirrel girl I was like i have an idea for a spooky Iron Man, it's gonna be real gross and horrifying, and uh, they went for it, which was nice. When you were like sitting down to write it, like, did it feel like you were doing something outside of your comfort zone, or did it just feel like, yeah, like this is I know how to write this? Yeah, I had such a clear idea for what it was. My my pitch was like, you look at the first appearance of Iron Man, and I have this conspiracy theory that it was meant to be a horror story. There's no indication in that story that Tony can ever leave the suit. 
And it seems like he is going to be trapped in that for the rest of his life. And this is not a good thing. He's given up his humanity to survive, but at what cost? And all the, all the parts of it are there in the story. And then issue two, he's painted a gold and he's fighting hypnotic aliens from space. So they clearly went a different direction for, for old Tony Stark there. But I wanted to do a story that was like, well, what if we actually told it as a horror story? And so since the image of it was so clear, there wasn't much thought of, oh my God, can I do this? There was more of just, I want to make sure this lives up to the idea I have in my head. And I actually wrote it twice. I wrote it first as a uh, 30-page story, and then Pandemic happened, and when it came back, it was going to be a 20-page story. And so I rewrote the whole thing, which is always a huge pain, and I don't like doing it, but it always makes the work better because you've effectively written it twice. (laughs) So did... The idea for the story predate the idea for the Darkhold yeah. miniseries? Yeah, it was something I'd mentioned to Will Moss at some point, being like, hey, I forget the concept. We were think- throwing around horror ideas at one point, and I said, here's my idea for a cool Iron Man story, and then nothing happened until Darkhold was a good place where we could fit it in. One of the things that I've always been fascinated about, about that first kind of year or two of Marvel Comics, is that you can see all of the stuff that that Stanley and Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko were working on for like the previous ten years, mm-hmm. because all of those first issues, uh, Iron Man, Spider Man, FF, even, are structured like the the horror comics, the the Tales to Astonish, the, yep. the suspense, the monster comics. Like the only thing that keeps Spider Man. That keeps Amazing Fantasy 15 from reading like a Marvel horror comic is that there is a story that comes out after <laughs> where Spider-Man goes and does more stuff. Uh, it doesn't just like, you know, cry and then walk away into the, into the darkness at the end yeah. of that story. And that's how the Iron Man comic ends too. Like he walks away in the darkness, like who knows what the future holds for the, that being who once called himself Tony Stark. And that is not the end of a story where you expect the second part to be, Good news, everyone. I'm a superhero. That's like that's the end of a story where the guy has screwed up his life through a mistake he made, and it's horrifying. Honestly, well, every one of those early Marvel books, it feels like Stan, especially, thought that each one would have a first issue that would never have a second issue. Mm-hmm. So he just tried to come up with a way to end them in a sort of open-ended way, but also be an ending for the character. Because, I mean, maybe maybe that was the case. Maybe, like, he had no idea if these books would ever have a second issue. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree with you 100%, which is why I was like, hey, let's, t- let's take this and make it into horror, because all the pieces are there. And that's why, that's why I had... Because I feel like Iron Man's origin has been done so many different ways and done, told so many times that I wanted to have those chapter titles in the book that had those panels from the original Iron Man comics so that it would say like, I'm not making this up (laughs) all these lines, my heart still beats. All this stuff is there in the source. This is my thesis. It's supposed to be spooky. And we lost our way somewhere around issue two. (laughs) A thing that, that I was wondering when we read uh, FF number one was why you chose to lead off the story with like a, like a twilight zone style Ben and Alicia story. And I feel like I we may have accidentally stumbled on the answer to that with this <laughs> conversation. Yeah, well I, I had pitched 
what I wanted my run of Fantastic Four to be as a bunch of short story, weird science fiction stories inspired by, you know, 60s Star Trek, where they encounter a weird thing, they fix a weird thing, and then the weird people leave to go do something else. And I like that, that vision for Fantastic Four. And I will reveal here for the first time that the reason I chose that, that story for, for number one was I thought it'd be a cool story, but I wasn't picturing it as a number one story because I wasn't aware that we would be starting with a new number one. I thought would this would be issue, you know, 48 or 49. And so it didn't feel like I had to do all the number one stuff you normally do in a, in a new issue. And then when I found out it was going to be a new number one, I was like, oh, interesting. Does this break anything? I don't think it breaks anything. I think it makes it kind of a bold swing for number one now because it's it's not addressing the weight that you would normally have in a first issue. And I, I then I think it's so interesting and so cool that it does that because it gives the story this kind of confidence, right? Where it's Fantastic Four number one, half the Fantastic Four aren't in it. <laughs> we'll get to them later. We're going to tell a little story about Ben and Alicia and their relationship and this, this man they meet in a time loop and how they get out of it and all this um, inner storytelling and we're not going to have a big space punch them up and not every, not every issue is going to be like that but I thought seeing how it turned out it made it feel like such a a brassier statement that I would probably otherwise not have made I would have felt the pressure of okay well if this is your number one we have to show more of, of, of Reed and, and Sue and Johnny and get all the rest of that stuff in there but without it, it just feels like a a really bold statement, I will say. Yeah, it was not what I expected from an FF yeah. number one. Yeah, uh, it's, it's not like any of the other FF number ones that have come out, which I like. Like, I That's the whole thing when you're doing a book that's been published since the 60s is that you can't – I don't think there's any value in doing stuff that's come before because those stories have already been told and there's, they're available now. Like It's not like it was in the 60s where a book – 10 years old might as well be out of print and in, invisible. You can read them all in Marvel Unlimited. You can find these stories. And so I think there's value in, in doing stuff that hasn't been done yet with these characters. Let's have fun with them. Let's, let's tell stories that feel like they can only be told today with the, the past that's already come before us. Uh, I do want to say, I, I think it's very funny that you did not, no, it was going to be a new number one. Ryan, Squirrel Girl's got two number ones. <laughs> you know they'll do one at the drop of a hat. Yeah, I should have. I should have been aware. Uh, but the timing worked out nicely, actually, because our number seven is also going to be number seven hundred legacy number, and so that's a nice lining up. And it let me tell a big, huge story for number seven because I'm so far ahead in this book. I'm working on. I just finished issue eight to the today this morning. And number one's just come out. So I'm really glad the reception of the book has been so positive because I'm, I'm way ahead. <laughs> if you don't like it, that's, that's not going to change for at least eight months. Yeah, you don't, don't want to ride too far ahead <laughs> in, uh, in today's comics market. That's a thing I've learned. Yeah. Well, I, I wanted to ask about the sort of last page reveal of that first issue mm-hmm. that recontextualizes, I think, a lot of that story. Because... Personally, as a reader, I spent a lot of that issue being like, well, this is like a nice low-stakes story to start off a Fantastic Four series. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, at the end, you hit us with, like, the big mystery and, and right. the reason why we don't see the other members of the FF and everything. 
And it feels like, you know, in some ways, maybe that's the way to do one of these number ones where it's like, Hey, the status quo changed. We're not going to tell you exactly what it is yet. And we'll unravel that, you know, we'll unspool that thread as we go. So you keep reading. <laughs> like, was that baked in to your idea for Fantastic Four from the beginning or something that kind of came about when you did find out that there, this was a new number one? Yeah, no, it was there from the beginning. But the idea I had with it was that, you know, yes, we're changing the status quo, but we've just spent 29 pages with these characters and established like Ben and Alicia are still married. They still love each other. The characters have not changed. So we're not throwing out the baby with the bathwater, if that's the expression. Saying it now for the first time, I feel like I might have heard it in a dream. It seems like an expression. But yeah, we're not throwing out the baby with the bathwater here. That is These a real expression. What an expression. <laughs> Tells the whole story. Wow. Sidebar, when I was in Russia uh, years ago, and I was asking what their Russian expressions are. And uh, I was saying in, in, in Canada, we have this expression, the early bird gets the worm. And they're like, oh, yeah, we have a Russian expression similar. He who rises first gets the slippers. Which is so much more evocative, right? Like you're, it's a small place. There's not enough slippers for everyone. It's cold. Like it's so Russian. Anyway, sidebar and idioms. Can um, I can I add an idiom here? Please just to add it. Because uh, I recently got back from a trip to Italy, and so I did some cramming on trying to learn Italian. And I learned my favorite Italian idiom, which is to say that someone is as good as bread. <laughs> That's so, so Italian. Good. So Italian. Yeah, it it means that they're good. It means that they're like a good person with a good heart. And so you say that... Good as bread. They're as good as bread. Matt, I, I don't know if I know anyone that I think is as good as bread. <laughs> <laughs> I love my friends, but I love bread. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I totally, totally didn't answer your question there. Um, but yeah, that, that, that thing of... Well, the, the, I think that the core of it is that I would love to tell a bunch of self-contained stories like it's 1965, but also I don't think that really works for a comic these days. You have to have some sort of overarching narrative. You tell even like TV shows, you have a season long arc. And I think the best version of it is a season long arc and uh, individual episodes that, that carry it, which is pretty close to what Star Trek strange new worlds is doing. So again, Star Trek connection, uh, which is interesting because I've also written Star Trek comics. We could talk about those in a bit. Oh, but, don't worry. That's oh, don't worry. We will. But yeah, that that idea of let's let's have this little bit of mystery, at least for the first couple issues, to show, sort of tease out how we got here, reveal what that problem is, maybe find a resolution to it. Um, I think it's more fun than just opening and saying, okay, so in the past six months, here's what you didn't see and here's what happened. Now let's follow through with the characters. Better to be like, okay... Here's a story, and by the way, six months have gone by, and some crazy stuff has happened. And here's a little clue. We'll find out more next month. Like that—that's an interesting way to tell the story to me. Than the alternative. Uh, I'm glad that you brought up Strange New Worlds, and I'm glad that you uh, brought up the the structure that you use in in FF, mm-hmm. uh, because that was something that I loved about Strange New Worlds, and that I did not love. About 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 Picard, uh, and and that I am ambivalent to on Discovery. 
But I, I loved when I watched the first episode of Strange New Worlds, and they went to space, and they found a space problem, and they solved it with an allegory. <laughs> and then that continued to be the entire, oh, I love the it. entire season. Uh, yes. Loved it. And I, because I feel like that is, to me, that's the only way Star Trek works. Because otherwise it doesn't feel like Star Trek. You want it to be a series of episodes, a series of individual adventures, of voyages. And I, I'm wondering if, as someone who is now like in the Star Trek minds, uh, if you... if I mean, obviously that structure is something that appeals to you, because you are mm-hmm. using it, but... Uh, I'm curious as to your thoughts. It depends on the on the structure, on the format, right? Like uh, the Lower Decks comic we did, um, it's one story told across three issues instead of three stories and three individual issues. And the, the reasoning there was, well, here's a chance to tell kind of a longer Lower Decks story than what we'd normally get in the show because the show is limited to 22 minutes. And they have their season-long arc two in that show, which is great, but the individual episodes are, are shorter. And it was the same thing when I was doing Adventure Time where – there are the episodes were two 11 minute episodes and here we are doing four issue arcs. So what does the metric time look like when you're telling a larger, more complex story? Let's figure that out. That's kind of fun. That'll give it its own unique flavor, but still be adjacent to the flavor that people are buying the comic for because they saw the show. And so, I mean, I'm making this sound like I have all these thoughts about form when I'm a formalist, which is true, but also <laughs> I, fa- <laughs> I found that when outlining the, the Lower Decks comic, that was the best format for the, the stories I wanted to tell. And in fact, uh, IDW was like, do you want to do four 20 pages or three 30 pages? And I was like, well, let me outline the story and find out. And then I outlined it and realized, no, this works better as three 30 pages. Plus, that gives you 10 extra pages of Star Trek, so who's going to complain? You're telling me that the person who's done a thousand comics of the same six panels has some <laughs> has some formalist leanings? I know, I, it's, it's a twist, but uh, it's true. A thing that really appeals to me about Lower Decks, like I remember the, when I first watched it, uh, I think it was, uh, I, I had missed the first season, and, and so I, I got to watch that all as a piece. Um, and I wasn't sure what to make of it when it was uh, announced and, and when I'd seen mm. uh, like promotions for it. Mm-hmm. And then watching it, I realized, like, oh, this isn't just a show made by people who like very clearly love Star Trek, but they very clearly love Star Trek in the exact same way that I do, mm-hmm. where like I will talk about Jellico with, with friends <laughs> and how much of a jerk he is. Mm-hmm. He gets results. He moved to a uh, moved to four shifts, not three. He got Troy to wear anyway. <laughs> That's true. He yes. Look, oh, we're burning minutes here. But <laughs> like, is that your experience with it as well? Because the comic really captures that. Like when the the space hippies showed up uh, and we're calling everyone Herberts. I mean, the, the premise alone of uh, what? How do you escalate? A holodeck Moriarty is you make holodeck Dracula. Like that, that is almost scientifically designed to appeal specifically to me. Yeah, it's it's been wild, right? Like as a kid watching TNG, I would not have imagined there'd be a time when there'd be 
four, five different Star Trek shows on air at basically the same time, and you could pick the one you liked the most. Like there'd be a flavor for you; they wouldn't all be the same. But what I love about Lower Decks is that you know, yes, it's animated, so they can do stuff you can't do in live action, and yes, it's funny, but it's also like to its core, it's still Star Trek. Like we're not making fun of Star Trek; we're laughing with them. It's they don't break canon. They're not making you feel like this. Everything is a joke. It's just Star Trek that happens to be animated with funnier people on the lower decks and on the bridge. And there were on the enterprise. Like it's, it, it works so well. And I think even describing it now, I'm, I'm not convincing myself that, that what I'm saying sounds real. Like it sounds like I'm trying to, I don't know, I can't get across how good it is, <laughs> which I think is a good place to start if you're trying to write a, a tie-in comic, is you have to like the original property, which is the only reason I ever wrote Adventure Time, is because I love the show and I love the YouTube short, and I was like, yeah, I, I can do this. And in fact, when I wrote Adventure Time, I told Shannon, you know, the only, my editor there, Shannon Waters, that the only reason I felt confident saying yes is that I had seen every bit of Adventure Time there was to see, so I knew everything, and I told her, I remember reading these Star Trek tie-in novels when I was a kid, and they'd get details wrong about data's processing capability. I was like, why would they hire this person who doesn't know more, more of the, about Star Trek than I do? Like, this is, a, this is a, an outrage. And then I realized as an adult, that like, oh, this book was written in season two and data's processing capability wasn't really established until later in season two. So they wouldn't have had that information. So, of course, that's why there's these little fractures in canon, et cetera, et cetera. But Star Trek is basically the only other property where I could be like, I have seen every episode of Star I've seen every hour of Star Trek that exists except for one. And now I've actually seen more episodes of Star Trek than exist because I get to see the animatics for Lower Decks for the upcoming season. So even though I skipped one episode, I won't say what one that is. Um, oh, oh, it's a big on. mystery. It's, i got to keep the mystery. And the writers of that episode are probably still alive. And they'd be like, oh, ouch. <laughs> right? Like all of Star Trek except us in particular. Um, Ryan, you're <laughs> killing me with this. Fellow's got to have his secrets. There's a, a question that Matt and I have talked about with our, our buddy, uh, Ben, mm-hmm. uh, who is, whenever he finds out someone likes Star Trek, he always asks them this question, and I love it. Okay. What's your Ready? favorite bad episode of Star Trek? Oh. Oh, my. Uh, oh, that's that's hard. How are we measuring bad? Just like, it's bad. I, However... I However, it's you want to answer, answer it, right? Okay, it's, so I can give you sincere or bad. Yeah, I can give you a sincere answer here. The name of the episode escapes me. Uh, it's TOS. It's where there is a guy who has his little shuttle that's crashed, and he's like, "I need your help, Enterprise," and he keeps switching between himself and his like negative universe version. That's a dick. And so the episode ends with them battling in a hallway for all eternity. And if either one of them wins, the universe will be destroyed. The positive energy, the negative energy will take over. And I was reading the memory alpha page for that episode last year, just browsing it as one does. And all this stuff was talking about how the the crew was unsatisfied and the cast was unsatisfied and it was a hack job and the, the writing didn't make any sense. But I saw that episode when I was eight and I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. The idea that there'd be an opposite version of you out there and you'd have to battle. And if one of you won, the universe would be destroyed. So you, have to, you have to be in endless combat for all eternity to save the universe. Like, this is the coolest thought I've ever had. And I later found out it was bad. <laughs> the episode was bad and no good. I haven't revisited it, 
but it is sincerely like there's no irony there. There's no, it's so bad. It's good from the memories of my eight year old self. That was just peak. Awesome. Star Trek on the same levels, like finding a giant amoeba or finding a Greek God or any of the other stuff. The original enterprise uh, got into I mean, the constitution class enterprise. Cause it's no longer the original enterprise enterprise before that both in and outside of Starfleet. But yeah, so that's my answer. I'll have to look at the name of this, the episode, but it's one with the, the guy with the goatee and the weird ship who battles his negative self. Good stuff. Uh, I believe that episode is called The Alternative Factor. What an episode. What Watch it with eight-year-old eyes. It'll blow your mind. Uh, <laughs> Matt, do you, have a, do you have a favorite bad episode? I'm sure we've talked about this in the past. We probably have. Um, but my favorite bad episode, undoubtedly is the Next Generation episode. This is one I don't know the title of, but um, it's the one where everybody gets addicted to that dumb video game. <laughs> that episode is amazing. Oh, what are you game. talking about? You're talking about the game yeah. with, is, with is Wesley Crusher and that, that kiss with Ashley Judd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the, he, Wesley, How is that a bad episode? What are, what are you talking about? I mean, okay, if if we're not calling it a bad episode. <laughs> I mean, it was fine. And the yeah. game itself looks simple, but it's giving you straight endorphins when you play, so it makes sense it'd be a simple like what yeah. I'm sorry, I'm I'm coming down too hard on you, but I'm curious <laughs> as to why you would think that objectively awesome episode is bad. I I feel like fans don't like it or like to fans like it. it. Next next <laughs> next objection. Okay. <laughs> then, then never mind. That it's no, no, no. Okay. Is your and only reason you don't like it is because it's unpopular? Like, t- what's your real reason? No, it's I do like it. It's my favorite. <laughs> oh, well, then you were on the same team, and I apologize for my tone. Yeah. yeah. I just thought it was considered a bad episode, but I guess I'm no, not. No, I mean, everyone I've spoken to, which I'm realizing is maybe just me, <laughs> that episode, <laughs> thinks it's really cool and likes it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, then in that case, my favorite bad episode is Cat's Paw. Oh, the only Halloween episode they ever did so yeah. far. Yes, the, that is the, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, that's the episode where the Enterprise finds a haunted house in space. <laughs> it's incredible. Uh, it is the also a bad episode of, of the original series. It's so good because it's one of the, I was going to say rare instances, one of the more memorable instances in the original series where the special effects fall down. And so when these aliens get revealed in their true form, it's like a pipe cleaner spider on a string <laughs> that's being moved around. It's really good. I feel like I could name one from every series. For the original series, it's it's Cat's Paw or it's uh, Wolf in the Fold, where you find out Jack the Ripper was a space parasite. That's awesome. That um, idea is always awesome. I love it. Who, who preyed on women because, as, as Spock says, uh, they feel fear more intensely. They're more easily terrified. Oh, Spock. Or uh, Deep Space Nine, it's Move Along Home, which is the episode uh, where... The crew of Deep Space Nine gets Jumanji'd. Yes, I'm familiar. That I had on a VHS tape that I had recorded when I was a child, and I watched it over and over. I love that episode. It's not good, but I do love it. Uh, And then the all-time best bad episode, TNG, Season 7, baby. Sub Rosa, Beverly Crusher fucks a candle ghost. Is it bad, or is it really good ryan it's exceptionally bad <laughs> <laughs> we're still talking about it that yeah so. that's not, it has it has stayed <laughs> i don't know i, I haven't uh, watched that episode recently i last time i watched it was as a teen with my parents and it was deeply uncomfortable 
because they were in the room. And I wasn't yeah. expecting that to happen on my on my Star Treks. But yeah. yeah, I mean, it's all good. No one was expecting that to happen. <laughs> that actually uh, raises a question. When you're doing something like Lower Decks, which even like, you know, going into Adventure Time and knowing everything about Adventure Time, I feel like is different from doing something like Lower Decks that relies so heavily on references and, and continuity and bringing things back and, and mm-hmm. combining things that exist in ways that we haven't seen before. That's like really the, 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 not to make it sound like it's just like, Oh, Hey, do you remember Beverly Crusher's candle ghost? Uh, ha ha ha. Like it, it's not that level of, of comedy. No, it's, it's making the universe feel lived in. Like all these things happen. They count people in the universe, remember them. They talk yeah. about the cool stuff the Enterprise got into. Yeah, I mean to answer any of those references. Yeah, do you? Yeah, yeah. You have to go back and and do the heavy research, or do you just go on like here are the things that I think are hilarious about Star Trek? A little both. I started with that, and like I, I knew I wanted to bring back the space hippies because I hated them so much watching that episode. And I was like, oh, I got to bring those Herberts back. Oh, Spoken um, like a true Herbert. Yeah, yeah. But it actually it surprised me how hard it was because i thought this is great there's nothing in fiction i know more and better than star trek like i got this you know i'm ready put me in and then i found in the writing and the outlining process the challenge was all this knowledge was a hindrance where i would want something to happen i'd be like well you know they can't do that because of an episode that aired 40 years ago saying you couldn't do this and i rather than it being easy it made me realize every possible obstacle to things I wanted to do. And also which ideas had been done before, which you don't want to repeat yourself. You don't want to repeat the franchise. And so it, it became, um, it wasn't impossible obviously because I, I did it. The last issue comes out at the end of this month, but it was, I thought it'd be a cakewalk and it actually took uh, a bit of work and a bit of thinking. So harder than I thought, uh, turns out you can know too much. It was an advantage, right? Like I, I got to work in the stuff I wanted to and avoid stuff that had been done. So the comic hopefully reads as yes, it's Star Trek and it's fresh and it's new and it's doing stuff that's going in a different direction than what you've seen before, but are still rooted in the universe, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I guess what I'm saying is writing is hard, even when you think it's easy. That's how they get you. Well, I, even if it had been done before, it's not like anyone's going to notice. The Star Trek fans famously, <laughs> very famously do not. I mean, that's my favorite thing of Star Trek. Honestly, my, one of my favorite things is that usually when you hit a wall, you, you can get around it by going deeper into the minutiae. Great example, you can't beam through shields. Established. And then... In TNG, in the episode Relics, they have uh, Jordy and uh, Scotty beam off the Janolan as it's holding open the doors on this uh, Dyson Sphere with its shields. So clearly that's a blooper. They beam through their shields. But if you remember that O'Brien explained a shield recycling technique where the shields have this micro-frequency opening every couple of seconds, they could use that to beam through given they had this they're both Federation ships. And so actually it's not a mistake. It's just, that it, they didn't mention shield recycling. And it's just, the more, you know, the more you can explain things away or explain what you need them to happen. And I love that 
that sort of stuff because it makes the universe feel lived in and it rewards in this really weird way having that otherwise useless trivial knowledge because <laughs> it, it, everything clicks together for the most part in a satisfying way and that that is deeply appealing to me all right speaking of uh <laughs> I uh, just monologue for like five minutes. Like, all right, uh, moving along from Ryan talking about shield recycling on TNG to something uh, that might interest anyone listening to this conversation. <laughs> listen, we we have to get to Twitter questions while the website still exists. Fair enough, Matt. If uh, let, let's let's get some questions from listeners, Matt. If the listeners want to get in on this, um, and I've been asking you this for years, but now I'm genuinely asking. How do they go about that? Well, that's going to be a conversation we're going to have to have. Uh, I don't know. Because by the time you're listening to this show, this episode, Twitter might not exist anymore. So I guess ask for an invitation to our Discord. Because we might just start have to take listener question, taking listener questions from our Discord. <laughs> and, uh, and just do it there. Because I ain't going on Mastodon, folks. It's it's too complicated. I can't do it. So that's fair. It, it may just be our Discord. Uh, so if you want to ask questions on the show, ask us for an invitation to our Discord because it's going to be important. Yeah, and if recent events have showed us anything, is that there's no downsides into investing in a privately held communications platform. I don't see any. <laughs> Uh, but maybe on that platform, you can ask a question like these questions you're about to hear for Ryan North. Our first one right. comes from Robert Secundus, who says, Ryan North knows computers, right? Ask him if he knows what it would take to keep this godforsaken website from going down. Oh, gosh. So <laughs> that's a great question. The answer is is long and boring. But the interesting part of it is that it is a lot of work to do what something like Twitter is doing. You're having all these requests for data that is changing in real time, which means caching is not going to help you very much. And so what you do is you build systems designed for doing this one thing. And the expertise you have to build something like Twitter um, is geared towards something where you want a lot of high-frequency updates going out around the world as, a, as close to instantaneous as possible. And that's specialized knowledge and that takes specialized hardware and it's not the sort of thing that you can just get off the shelf. It's, not, it's usually not the sort of thing that runs itself alone without supervision for very long. Um, so it's all this to say is not the sort of thing that someone can waltz in and be like, here's my new Twitter I built in my garage. You sort of have to build up to something like it. Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I do appreciate the actual insight, Ryan. Thank you. That's what I'm here for. I know computers and Star Trek computers. <laughs> <laughs> Centipede Damascus on our Discord asks, Ryan, what's the deal with Franklin Richards? Well, it depends what he means. Franklin Richards is the son of Sue and uh, Reed Richards. And that's all I can say. <laughs> he made a little pocket universe one time. He made he, a I mean, yeah. yeah, he's super powerful. Um he gets into some sort of shenanigans, like we all do in our time. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm dancing around this because I don't want to reveal what's coming up in the next couple of issues of the, of the comic that would answer this more directly. 
I so like all I can say is keep reading. <laughs> I just like the idea that doing a Heroes Reborn is just a part of growing up for everybody. <laughs> yeah, we all do it. We all do it once or twice. Yeah, yeah, you explore your body and its powers. And if you can create a pocket universe, you're probably going to create a couple pocket universes. Change some things, see what happens. Uh, our pal Ben, Franz Ferdinand II, asks, for everyone on the show, between all of you, who do you think could come up with the most bullshit graphic adventure puzzle? Well, Ryan, you've done this, right? What do you mean by graphic adventure puzzle? I, I think what Ben is saying is like your classic Sierra LucasArts kind of point oh. and click adventure. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I, I would put my chips on me here because I, I have, in my time, designed a back end for something like uh, SCI or AGP style games that Sierra used in that engine. And at one point, considered sort of half talked out doing one with my brother in, in, in undergrad. So yeah, I mean that those are my credentials. What do you guys think? I think it's you too. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's definitely you. <laughs> okay. Jay Martin writes on Twitter, uh, wants to know who's written Sue storm best over the years and what makes her tick for you? Oh, that's a good question. I'm not going to answer it because I feel like that would get, that's like picking the prettiest star in the sky or more accurately, like picking your favorite son or daughter, which you shouldn't do. Um, but for me, what I love about Sue. Okay. It's interesting, right? Cause all these characters fit together with each other. They're usually, you've got Ben and Reed and Sue and Johnny and they're the family and they, they work and they bounce off each other. And what I find most interesting about Sue is that she is, the most powerful member of the team, but she's often not trying to take that, that leadership role. She's, she's letting other people do it. I think that's interesting, something to explore. And I I love that. Like end of the day, read stretchy powers, usually not that useful. (laughs) It's usually his smarts that are doing it. Ben's punch rock powers are great. Johnny's flame powers are great. But Sue's powers, like she can kill you just to look at you with a thought. That's crazy. She's so amazing. (laughs) And so for me, the idea of someone who can like kill you with a thought, but is still nice, (laughs) is still wanting to understand other people and wanting to help them. That's really cool. Like you could take Sue's powers and make a villain in a heartbeat. And she's not a villain except for a few times where she was malice and was actually a villain, but usually she's not a villain. And I like that about her. This is a question from an account that exists only to ask questions on War Rocket Ajax, Stone Cold HCC, which is mm-hmm. actually run by Stone Cold's mother, Mrs. HCC. Uh, she took it over recently and Mrs. HCC wants to know, if you could have any job on the 6 o'clock news, what would it be? I've always said my dear sweet son Stone Cold would be a handsome weatherman. So I want to be, this is what came to mind when I heard the question, is I want to be the guy who is programming the teleprompter. Because the power you have there mm. to have people say what you want them to say, maybe without saying it, uh, without realizing what they're saying, rather. Um, that's great. That's the opportunity for shenanigans is off the chart. Plus you get to play with technology, you know, 
you have a friend who's a newscaster and you're just slightly over cranking the teleprompter every day. So he's reading faster and faster and faster. By the year, he's reading 20% faster than he was when he started. These sort of long-term, call them pranks, call them social experiments, uh, would be a perk of the job for sure. Merriweather on our Discord wants to know, what television or film franchise would you like to do a recap podcast about? Is it too obvious to say Star Trek? We've been talking so much about it. Um, I could do a I could do a three episode podcast about the three Back to the Future movies and just tell you what happened. <laughs> <laughs> Am I dismissing too much the idea of the recap? Just a summary. Been, like I can read the I Wikipedia mean, plot summary of Back to the Future three times. I mean, look, I do a podcast with your often creative partner Erica Henderson about the USA Sci Fi Television series Chucky. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think Meriwether's just trying to get you in on the fun. <laughs> then count me in. I should have chose something that's not like Star Trek. There's so many. Back feature. There's only three plus yeah. the cartoon. Um, I've been waiting around. for more B to the F content. Yeah, I mean, so B to the F was where I reviewed page by page the novelization of the first movie. Because it was a bonkers novelization by George Guype, and then he died after he published it, which made me feel good about making fun of it and tearing it apart and finding the cool stuff in there too. Uh, but the ones for Back Future Two and Three, written by, just they're they're less ambitious. They're re- they're trying fewer things, and so they don't have the successes and the fascinating failures. They're just hitting the middle ground all the time. They're much less interesting. So. That's why I stopped there. Uh, here's a question from I don't know how to say their Twitter handle. It's Tino LQA, I think. Uh, but they want to know how would a rising supervillain go about escaping escaping a large hole in the ground if <laughs> he were to have perhaps be stuck in one. This falls into two areas of my expertise because I wrote a book called How to Take Over the World, which is out now. That does comic book schemes with actual science, and it's really cool. And also, I famously uh, got stuck in a hole with my dog a couple of years ago, and we got out thanks to Twitter. So my advice for a supervillain trapped in a hole is, you know, you could probably tweet your way out. It worked for me. My real advice is that you got to be careful because anyone can get stuck in a hole once, and it's a cute story. But if I get stuck in a second hole, like it's obviously a Ryan has a problem thing. I've used my get-out-of-hole-free card already. And so I can't get stuck in any other holes for the rest of my life or else I become a fool and a jokester. So play that get stuck in a hole card carefully because you've only got the one is my sincere advice to all supervillains out there. Yeah, you could become a real jester <laughs> after falling in a hole. It's true. Uh, a real puzzler, mm-hmm. in fact. Our last question, and what could be a more appropriate last ever question to come from Twitter possibly than this one from Allison Borealis who wants to know which dinosaur is your favorite Ryan North. Oh, that's an easy one. That's low hanging fruit. So the three dinosaurs in dinosaur comics, you have T-Rex who is the most charismatic and popular dinosaur. You have Utraptor who is likely, um, Oh shoot. What was my Utraptor fact? He was exceptional for something. They were exceptional for something. I forget what. Oh my gosh. And then Dramecia Mimus. I have to pick my favorite. I, I I don't think I've been asked this question for so long. I forgot what my favorite dinosaur is amongst those three. 
I think T-Rex is the obvious choice, but I really like Dramecia Mimas for her unpopularity. Like, no one out there is saying Dramecia Mimas is her favorite dinosaur, except for me, and I like that. <laughs> yeah, my favorite dinosaur, you've probably never heard of them. It's a really obscure choice. Well, that uh, will wrap us up. Ryan North, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. Before we finish, please let our listeners know where they can find you and uh, what work of yours they can go by. Yeah, you can find me at ryannorth.ca and for the next two hours probably at twitter.com slash ryanqnorth. My latest book is called How to Take Over the World, Scientific Schemes for the Aspiring Supervillain. And in March, me and uh, this very talented artist you may have heard of by the name of Erica Henderson have a new graphic novel coming out. We've got the Squirrel Girl team back together to do a brand new original story called Danger and Other Unknown Risks about a girl and her dog setting out to save the world and encountering some cool stuff and fascinating twists. Delightful. Cannot wait for it. (laughs) Our guest has been Ryan North. Uh, go go read uh, Lower Decks and watch Lower Decks if you haven't, and then read the comic. Uh, it'll make more sense that way. And, uh, and pick up uh, Fantastic Four as well, right? Oh, yeah, I have Fantastic Four coming out. Yeah, read Fantastic Four and Lower Decks. <laughs> I Ryan. forgot it was written the world's greatest comic magazine. That is also a thing that's going on right now. <laughs> oh, oh, to have your problems. <laughs> Ryan North, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Always a pleasure to be here anytime. Thanks once again to Ryan North for joining us for the show. Always a uh, true delight to talk to him. It really is. And we won't be doing a show next week. We're going to be taking the week off for Thanksgiving here in the United States. Uh, We hope that if you're in the United States, you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. We hope that if you're not, you had a great Thanksgiving. If you're in Canada or another country that celebrates it. Or uh, you just have a nice, relaxing week. And as we often do here, right around Thanksgiving, I wanted to take an opportunity to thank everybody listening to the show. You are the reason that More Rocket Ajax continues, and we are thankful for all of you. We could not be more thankful uh, for all of you. We're thankful that we have a, like a burgeoning and active Discord community. Uh, we're super thankful. Uh, for all the engagement uh, we get here on the show, you know, sometimes doing podcasts and stuff or creative work, it can feel like you're sort of shouting into a void and getting nothing back. And that has never been the case with this show. We always have gotten feedback. We always have gotten like cool fans talking to us. And uh, that's always been super cool. And Chris, I wanted to say thank you for another very fun year of doing this show. The show is becoming more and more of just you and me talking. (laughs) And I'm very thankful for it. It's something I can look forward to every week where I get to spend an hour and a half chatting with my bud. And uh, I I appreciate it. And thank you for continuing to do this show with me uh, almost every week. Matt, I feel the the exact same way. Uh, I was going to say that 
same thing, but you beat me to it. Uh, I am I'm thankful for the show, uh, thankful for our listeners, and thankful for you and your friendship uh, for another year. Uh, it is a highlight of my week every week to get to chat with you, to get to to do the show, uh, and I wouldn't wouldn't trade it for the world. Although there probably is an amount of money that I would take. Twelve. Yes, we've said many times the amount of money for which we would sell out would shock you. Yeah, it's not it's not as high as you might think. <laughs> but I would still value your friendship, uh, as I always have. Same. Absolutely same, my friend. If you would like to get in touch with us, if you would like to give us some of that feedback that I mentioned, you can email us at warrocketpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we're on Twitter for now at War Rocket Pod. Uh, we're on Tumblr at warrocketpodcast.tumblr.com. And uh, we have a Discord. The Discord I mentioned, you have to get an invitation to join that Discord. So if you would like an invitation, uh, just ask for one. And, uh, and we'll make sure you get it. Our website is warrocketajax.com. It has every single episode of the show we've ever done, so go check that out if you want to catch up on some old episodes, but don't go back too far. You don't have to go back too far. Uh, you can also go to warrocketwiki.com for tons of information about the show in uh, our wiki that is run by fans, and we do appreciate them doing that. If you want to find me and my stuff... You can go to mattdwilson.net to find links to the books I've written, the comics I've written, my other podcasts, and my social media accounts. Chris, where can people find you? Uh, everybody can find me by going to the-isb.com. Oh, that's that's the thing that I wanted to talk about with Andor, about how they keep talking about the ISB and how much it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's every And every time I'm like, that's me. Or my wife's like, that's you. <laughs> Someone literally said on one of those episodes, they were like, oh yeah, the ISB, the worst of the worst. Yeah, thanks. I've had that, that has been my bad website name for, since 2008. Thank you. Love it. I genuinely love it. It's always good to have a little game you can play along with, uh, with uh, a show. Truly delighted by it every time it happens. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. We'll see you in two weeks with another episode. Uh, until then, thanks for listening. Yeah, no episode next week, but we, there's a bunch of good ones. It's like 150 good ones already that you can go back and listen to. I'm not going to tell you which ones. That's the gamble. Uh, but until next time, uh, have a good uh, holiday if you have one. Uh, be safe. Uh, and don't forget, Black Lives Matter. And trans rights are human rights. Abortion rights are also human rights. And cops aren't your friends. We love you. We love you. Yeah!